Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. But you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So good evening, or shalom in Hebrew, or salem in Arabic, which is what the Palestinian Christians say. I just came back from the Holy Land a couple weeks there with a group of 30 parishioners from Christ Church. We traveled to all the Christian sites in the Holy Land. And as we stood in the field where the shepherds saw the angels or the center of busy Bethlehem or in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested, we prayed the words of Scripture in the place where they happened. We celebrated communion together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum, right next to Peter's house, touched the place where Christ died on the cross in Golgotha. It was a very meaningful trip adding context to the Gospels of our faith. In other words, the Gospels became more real. The seemingly intangible became tangible. So in the Holy Land, the birth, life, and passion of Christ takes on color and flavor and scent and sound. As David Brooks says, the ineffable becomes intelligible in Israel. So because of this, one might be tempted to think that a trip to the Holy Land would make you more holy or more spiritual, but it's not true. Nothing we can do as humans can make us more holy or spiritual, which is what our Corinthians text would have told us today, which is that we preach only Christ, Christ and his cross, crucified, not anything that we do. So what is true about a trip to the Holy Land is that it changes one's definition of the meaning of life because of the encounter with the reality and the rationality of our faith. So usually we're able to avoid thinking too much about questions of existence when we're going about our daily grind of making and eating food, going to work and school, keeping our homes and ourselves clean and orderly. 
But when standing at the River Jordan or in the Church of the Resurrection in Jerusalem, it becomes obvious that we know so little about ourselves and the mystery of faith that we profess. The question, why are we here, was at the heart of our trip. But you don't have to go to Israel to wonder about the meaning of life, especially your life in particular. That sense, that deep sense of what is this all about is the elevator music of our very fast-paced life. So in his book, Making Sense of God, Presbyterian minister Tim Keller poses the question, can we have meaning in life without any belief in God at all? And Tim talks about two types of meaning in our postmodern lives, created meaning and discovered meaning. Created meaning is finding purpose in our lives from a goal bigger than ourselves, such as reducing poverty or getting um, a degree or caring for our family or increasing literacy. We create meaning by selecting what would be meaningful to us. The problem with created meaning is the lack of permanence in our world. You help kids with reading, but then you get sick or you can't go anymore, or the program ends. So does your sense of meaning and purpose also end? So Keller explains that there is also discovered meaning, defined as a meaning beyond our own inner feelings and interpretations. If we were made by God for certain purposes, then there are inherent meanings that we must accept. In other words, there is meaning that we do not create but is at the very fabric of existence in a world created by God. An experience of the Holy Land points to the discovered meaning in the gospel of Jesus Christ beyond anything that we could create in our own lives. The gospel today from Matthew chapter 5 is directly after the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. This sermon took place on a beautiful rolling hill full of green grass, very tall trees, beautiful, abundant flowers on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. So in the message translation that starts our passage tonight, Jesus tells the people, let me tell you why you're here. It's a beautiful segue from the Beatitudes, which tell us that spiritually we're losers, we're mourners, we're poor, hungry, thirsty. And to that, Jesus says, let me tell you why you're here. This one scripture exposes a question that lies behind all of our striving, our wondering, our competing, our searching, our tears. Jesus continues, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is giving us an identity, not a job. The translation actually means you are. He's not telling us to go out and be the salt and light, as we're often told about this passage. Jesus is telling us we are salt and light. Martin Luther identified this salt and light as the gospel of grace that does not lose its saltiness for the people who need it, who have received it, who hold it. So who needs the salt of grace? Well, who doesn't need the salt of grace? Who doesn't? feel inadequate or not enough. 
or sometimes self-centered or just plain not up to the task of life on life's terms. The gospel of Christ, however, loses its taste when we believe that we can live life without depending on this grace of Christ. When the gospel becomes about us and not about him. That's when the salt of faith loses its taste. Has that happened to you before? You're trying and trying to be a good person, but you just can't seem to pull it off. You remember some old behavior or maybe new behavior. Someone you hurt, something you stole, cruelty that you perpetuated, and your faith loses its taste. Your good behavior becomes a chore. Your trying to be good makes you resentful, repetitive. When the gospel of Christ becomes a laundry list of good behaviors or that we believe the blessed are only the winners, the good news has lost its saltiness. When we're left to our own devices to work our way into feeling good about ourselves and answering questions of meaning, the gospel light is under a bushel basket. Our good news today tells us that because of the trustworthy promises of God, only through our loserness, our losses, our mistakes, our inability to make everything come out well, our lack of perfection, our sickness and addiction, that we are the very people whom Christ died to free. The salt in our wounds is evidence that we do not heal ourselves. The light of the Holy Spirit that is kindled in our hearts is the hope that Jesus Christ shines into the world through us, which refuses to go out. Our need and our vulnerability are where Christ meets us. We are salt and light because we have been saved by Christ. We have admitted our need for God and we have been met by this grace of Christ. We are the evidence of Christ's grace in the world. So on our Holy Land pilgrimage, we spent time at the Dead Sea. It was very interesting. It is a, uh, the end of the Jordan River, but it is full of salt and nothing can live there. No fish, nothing can live in the sea. But it is also used as a cure for ailments, for skin ailments, for other things that are going on in your body to detox you. It's just very interesting. So much a part of our faith that something dead brings life, brings resurrection. So salt is not only used for a preservative and for taste, but it's used therapeutically to cure. So salt was used in wounds to cure them. So as anyone that's ever gotten salt in a paper cut, though, can tell you it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. The salt of this passage is about how Christ's grace heals us, but it's not without pain. Tenderly, Christ opens up the wounds of our lives of betrayals, losses, regrets, and heartache, and applies the healing salt that is this grace. It stings at first, feeling so exposed and embarrassed by our failure, our need for repentance, our need for comfort. But Christ brings our darkness out into the light, where it cannot hurt us anymore and can be healed. This mercy of Christ leaves us with scars but also a new freedom to experience life in a more Christ-trusting way, knowing that anything that happens can be healed and used for Christ for good. The salt and light have healed us and are evidence of the power of grace in the world. 
So I hope someday you get a chance to go to the Holy Land to experience this reality of Jesus' coming. But it's not necessary to give your life meaning. Your life has deep, deep significance because you are created by God and you are the salt and light of Christ's grace, which gives your life meaning in this world beyond yourself. So I'd like to close with a prayer that I I really like that is on this same subject and it really has a lot to do with the colic that we read today. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Shalom, shalem, and amen.